All right, John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter number 10. And I want to draw your attention to verse number 19. John chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 19. And as we continue our Lord's thoughts here regarding uh, the shepherd and the sheep, uh, the Lord begins to uh, really draw this particular conversation uh, to a close. Now, we won't finish this chapter today. Lord willing, we will finish it next week. But we are going to deal with a, a larger portion of Scripture that we, than we normally would. I want to begin in verse number 19, and we want to read down through verse number 30. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to, to deal with this entire uh, narrative here. Uh, verse 19 of John 10. The Bible says, There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath the devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. If you look at those verses again, back in verse number 26, the phrase and the words that Jesus uses here to these disbelieving Pharisees are pretty startling words. They're words that Jesus really draws a line of division he gives the reason why they do not believe. And the first time people come across this verse, they often do a double take and they read it again and again and again. And they ask themselves the question, is Jesus really saying what I think he's saying? He gives the reason for their unbelief. He says in verse 26, ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. He tells them that our Lord gives them a reason as to why they fail to believe. It wasn't a failure in believing the miracles. It wasn't a failure in believing the doctrine. It was, most importantly, it was a failure to believe his words. They did not believe his words because they were not one of his. And again, the human mind struggles with this. The human mind struggles with the reality of what is the, what is the Lord saying here? Is, 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 is he really doing away with uh, any responsibility that they have to believe? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. But remember who these people were. These were the Pharisees who boasted that they were God, they were the church of God, that they were the true believers. And what they were offended by was Jesus's words. Uh, they couldn't argue against the miracles. They couldn't argue about what Jesus had done. They could only try to find a reason uh, to bring reproach to him. However, we see here that Jesus further mentions in verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So here he, he paints this picture here. He says, here's the reason you don't believe because you're not my sheep. 
And if you were my sheep, you would hear my voice because I know them and they follow me. In other words, you would receive me as the shepherd. You would receive me as the Lord. Now, this was the Lord arguing on a basis of something that was contrary or something that was opposite. In other words, he's using something very common in their day. We've talked about this over the last few weeks, uh, the, the, the principle or the picture of a shepherd and sheep, and, and they knew what he was talking about. And yet he tells them again and again and again that the reason that you're not one of mine is because you do not obey my words. Here's what we do know about the Lord. We know that God effectually calls all who he has elected. In other words, the doctrine of election, which we have studied for so many weeks now and so many months, God effectually calls them. He calls them, what's said in verse 27, that those who are called here because he knows them and they follow. There are characteristics of those who are in Christ. The sheep of Christ are proved by their faith. They're proved in their obedience. When you say, who are the elect? It is those who follow Christ. It is those who are willing to believe. Again, it in no way negates man's responsibility. But the reason why the name of, of sheep is applied, we often think about why does Jesus call them his sheep? Well, we understand that the shepherd and the sheep, the sheep are dependent upon the shepherd. And you and I as his children, you and I as his, we are dependent upon him. We are governed by him. We follow what he instructs us to do. Sheep are also, they're teachable. And as he speaks about these things, he, he makes this phrase so clear. He says, ye are not my sheep. He, he doesn't leave really any questions about it. He doesn't ask them, would you like to become one? He doesn't give them a plan of salvation. He doesn't tell them to pray. He says very simply, you do not believe because you are not mine. Now again, humanly speaking, we struggle with this. We say, why would God leave someone out? And remember, it is not that God's left someone out. It is that the miracle is that God has included any. Because somehow we think, well, why are we included? Uh, that's, the, that's the beauty of the, the gospel. That's the beauty of grace. That's, that's the beauty of understanding that uh, no one deserves it. No one deserves it. And that's one of the reasons we talked this morning about being part of the body of Christ and how it's a privilege and everything we have is the gift of God. And we ought to use those gifts that God gives us to serve others with. This phrase of being one of his sheep is not something that we find arrogance in. It is something we find humility in, again, which we talked about at 10 o'clock about the need for humility in the body of Christ. But what Jesus is doing in verse 19, really all the way down through verse 26, is, is very simply proving that non-believers are not the sheep. And that because they're not the sheep, Jesus is not their shepherd. Now again, in verse 19, the real offense here is told. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. The real offense to the Pharisees was the words of the gospel. It wasn't his works, it was his words. What Jesus claimed to be, what Jesus said that he was, that was what caused the division. It was his claim to deity, it was his claims of authority. 
It was his claims of being the redeemer. It was his equality with God. It wasn't the miracles that offended them. It was his words. It was his claim that I am who Moses spoke of. I am the fulfillment of what the prophets have said. I am that Messiah. Jesus was telling them, I am the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament scriptures you know so well. That's what offended them. Uh, They were offended by that. They knew what he was saying, and that's why the Bible tells us in verse 19, they were offended because of his words. But then they take a path that literally, if if you think about what's happening here, they accuse Jesus of having a devil. Verse 20, and many of them said, he hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? It was a common thought among the the Jews, especially the Pharisees, that a person who was insane or was declared to be mad was possessed of a devil. So they stoop so low as to say, wait a minute, this Jesus, he has a demon. He's insane. He's mad. He, is, he, he cannot be trusted. He is, he, is a, uh, he is someone, why would you listen to an insane man? Now, lest we think that this just is in that society, there are people today who think the whole idea of Jesus and the whole idea of even following a God, why would you listen to an insane man? Why would you listen to a dead man? It's, it's the picture of a depraved heart. It's a picture of a, of a person who says, listen, uh, why would I give my ear at all to a man who speaks insane things? That's what they're accusing Jesus of. They're accusing Jesus of being insane Now, that was, if not uh, close to the most offensive thing they could have possibly tried to slander him with. Hey, listen, don't listen to that man. He's, He's insane. But verse 21 tells us that others said, now here's the division, others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So here this whole division there are those that are saying he is a, he is a d- demon-possessed man. The others said a demon-possessed man could never open the eyes of the blind. So there is a realization that Jesus had the ability to give sight to the blind, and it goes all the way back to the blind man that he healed. So you have this division that's going on between them. Even these Pharisees, it just says some, these Pharisees, probably a very small minority, recognized this man doesn't act like a, de- a person possessed with a demon. No man who's possessed with a demon can deliver the way this man has delivered. He has opened the eyes of a blind man. Those that are possessed with demons and devils do not do that. It's an amazing thing that the eyes of some appeared to be open, yet Jesus still says, you are not one of my sheep. In John chapter number 7, verses 45 through 46 Uh, Even as we studied this a while back, remember, this was the phrase of Jesus's words when there was a disagreement about what he was saying. It says in John 7, verse 45, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, never man spake like this man. So Jesus's words Uh, His words, even some when they heard him, could say, this is not the words of a possessed man. 
This is the words of a man whose words have opened the eyes of a blind man. So you've got this very clear division between the two. The Bible gives us a little bit more insight back in our text about when this was, and we won't spend a lot of time on this, but you'll notice it says in verse 22, it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. Uh, This was a a, a feast that was given uh, to commemorate what was referred to as the purification of the temple. Some of you are familiar with that. Uh, It was observed in the month of December. Uh, It was an eight-day feast. And so we're, we're told that uh, this was, uh, uh, and it was in the winter. It, it, it's, it's given to us just as information. And verse 23, and Jesus walked in the temple of, or in Solomon's porch. So you, you have this, this, this picture here, here the Lord, where this is all taking place. And in verse 24, it tells us that the Pharisees round about him or they surround him. They've got got Jesus in the center of them, maybe, and they say unto him, how long are you making us doubt? And Jesus is going to tell them, I've already told you. They say, "If, if you're the Christ, tell us you're the Christ. Tell us that you are the Christ. Now, there were people who had already believed. We know that there were disciples who believed on him to be the Christ. He revealed himself to the Samaritan woman. She believed him to be the Christ. The blind beggar believed him to be the Christ. There were many other people who thought him to be the Christ just by the words that he had said and the, the miracles that he had done. Now the Jewish leaders had the audacity to come to Jesus and say, listen, if you're Christ, declare it to us. Declare it freely. Declare it openly. Use exact words. Now, why does Jesus not use exact words that they ask for? The Bible tells us here, I told you. I've already said it. I have already proved to you that I am the Christ. I've proved it by what I've already done. I've proved it by what I've already said. And he says, ye believed not the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And that's what leads Jesus to make that most unexpected statement, according to their eyes anyway, you don't believe because you're not mine. The whole reason you disbelieve in me is because you are not one of mine. These Jewish leaders wanted Jesus to speak words, words that they, wouldn't, he, they would not have believed anyway. Often we look at this and we say, well, if, if he just would have spoken it again, uh, maybe there would have been a change. No, Jesus' words were very much, you don't believe because you're not one of mine. The Lord had already told them, I am the son of man. He had already told them, I am the one that Moses wrote about. He had already told them, I, was, I am the living bread. He had already told them that their father Abraham, back in John chapter number 8, verse 56, had said, your father Abraham rejoiced in seeing my day. And he even said in John 5, 39, search the scriptures. And while you search the scriptures, you will find me. Jesus had done every mighty work necessary to prove his deity, yet they refused to believe. Now this verse, they were not his. The sheep is a reference to the elect. The sheep were given to him by the father. Had they been given to him by the father, they would have come to him. 
That's why John 6, which we read so many uh, months ago and so many weeks ago, that simply told us about the, 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 the elect or the sheep being given by the Father. Remember what it says in John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So we understand here that these, these sheep were chosen of God. What is Jesus telling them? These seems like harsh words, but he's telling them, you are not chosen of the Father. You are not predestined to sonship. You are not ordained to eternal life because if you were, you would have believed on me. Again, these are difficult truths. I don't stand here today and be able to tell you I fully understand all the workings of God. I can only tell you that when a man does not believe, he is not left without responsibility. There is still today a call to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not able to use these things as an excuse. There is a call to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, and believe the gospel. That is what the call is. Jesus tells these Pharisees, you're not one that is ordained to eternal life. We've got to keep in mind that a man does not believe to become one of the Lord's sheep. He believes because he is one of the Lord's sheep. And there is the difference. Man does not believe to become one of the Lord's sheep. He, he believes because he is one. The reason you believe is because you are one of his. Faith is a gift just as much as repentance is a gift. Every saving grace of God is a gift. And we talked this morning about using the grace that God's given to us. We talked about the gift, how we use our purpose on our place in the body of Christ and how because we've been redeemed, because we are one of his own, how we ought to use that to serve with the gifts and the abilities that God has given us, even in our local church and in even the bigger uh, body of Christ as a whole. So the word of God proves that non-believers are not his sheep and he is not their shepherd. The second thing I want us to look at is in verses 27 through 28, that God's purpose for the sheep is eternal life. And he provides the means, which is Christ, to obtain it. God's purpose for the sheep is eternal life, and he provides the means, which is Christ, to obtain it. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. All the way back in the first few verses of this chapter in John chapter 10, verse 3, remember what Jesus said. He said, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So Jesus says, My sheep will hear my voice. They will hear my voice in the gospel, not only with the ear, but with the heart. They will respond. They will believe. They hear because a sovereign God has given them faith to believe. He's given them spiritual life. He's given them the ability to hear. He says, I know them. I know them. And to know them, each one of Christ's sheep is known individually. 
They are known in particular. It is not a random knowledge. It is not Jesus saying, listen, I have, I have millions of sheep. I don't know who they are. He knows them individually. He knows them in particular. He knows exactly and they know him. And when we stop and think about all that God has done to give us eternal life, as the Father's gift to the Son, they are highly prized, they are highly loved, not because of their own worth or because of their own merit, because they were a gift of the Father to the Son. Again, when we stop and we think about the vast majority of people here, the vast majority of these Pharisees, he never says to them, I know you and you know me. But he says about his sheep, he says, I know them and they know me. To know him is to love him. To know him is to follow him. To know him is to believe and follow wherever he leads. Oftentimes, when we get to those verses and we stop and we think about it, Jesus makes a promise along with that in verse 28, which fits right along with the covenant promise we have been studying on Wednesday nights. And uh, that has been very, very helpful to us. But John 10, 28 really speaks of part of that covenant. He says, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Because of the covenant mercies of God, because of what God had promised that would happen in and through Christ, the sheep were given to the Son by the Father and there is a surety of eternal life. Those who are his sheep never wonder, am I secure? They don't wonder, am I going to fall away? They don't wonder, is this binding? They know because of the covenants of God, they know because of those mercy, because Jesus Christ did what was covenanted before the foundation of the world, that they have received a perfect righteousness. They have received something that cannot be taken away because of Jesus' death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection. And because of his intercession, we have the promise that we will never be plucked out of his hand. That's the greatest promise you're going to hear today is to know that you are secure. But who gives eternal life? Look what it says. And I give unto them eternal life. By what Jesus did, he gave them eternal life. They did not acquire eternal life. He gives unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. God acted in such a way that as man is justified, he gives, has given his sheep eternal life. I love what the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 11. 1 John 5 verse number 11. And this again, it, it very clearly says that life, eternal life, where and to whom it was given and how it was given. 1 John 5 verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, we have a security. We will never now or ever in eternity future perish. No man, no demon, no power, no force can ever separate us from the union that we have and what we are and who we are in Christ. No one can take that away. And we know three things about this. Number one, we know from our study that we've been made willing to come to Christ. We've been made willing. We don't denounce man's free will and say man doesn't choose to follow Christ. He does, but man is made willing by God. Man, makes, man is made willing by God. John 6, verse 37, verse 44, and verse 65. Number two, we also know that God makes the sheep willing to behold and believe on the Son of God. And number three, God makes them willing to hear His voice and follow Him. Such an important aspect of this that we're made willing. The sheep are made willing to believe that God is exactly who he said he is, and this life, this eternal life, is in his Son. Number three, verses 29 through 30. God the Father and the Son predestined the redemption of his sheep. When Jesus makes this statement, I and my Father are one. This is a statement of absolute security. My father, verse 29, which gave them me, that's the sheep, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. It's almost in a way a repeat of verse 28, the word uh, being plucked out of their hand. But he's more specific. He says, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. I and my father are one. And you'll see, and we'll talk about this next week, when he makes that statement, I and my father are one, the Jews take up stones again to stone him. Again, what are they offended by? They're offended by his words. They're offended by who he claims to be. There is no stronger, more forceful passage in all the word of God that guarantees the absolute security of every child of God than what you read in those verses right there. When you battle with assurance and you struggle with different things, remember you are, you are fighting against a promise that God has made and that is the strongest security I can possibly give you. Those verses right there that if you are one of his, you can never under any circumstances for any reason at any time ever be plucked out of his hand. There aren't any other promises that are greater than that. When I stop and I think about being a child of God and I think about being one of his sheep and I think about what he has given, he has given eternal life. To be in the hand of God, to be in the hand of Christ, to realize that even unto this day, there is a Savior who is still living and making intercession for us. We've read a lot in the 17th chapter of John, and we keep going back to this. But John 17, verse 2, Jesus says these words. He says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. 
That means there is not a single one which has been given which will be lost. Not a single one that the Father has given to the Son will slip away and be plucked out of the hand or will never be in the hand. There is absolute positive security in this. You drop down to verse 6 of that same chapter, John 17. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all are mine. All, all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that thou may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then drop all the way down to verse 24. Father, I will that they, this is all reference to the sheep, they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. The sheep of Christ are not only in the hand of God the Father, they're in the hand of the Son. I don't really want to use the terminology as double security, but that's really what it is. I'm not only in the Father's hand, I'm in the Son's hand. The Father and the Son, those that the Father has given to the Son are secured by what Jesus has done. We are secure in Christ. This security that he speaks of and this, this assurance that he gives us. That 30th verse, again, I and my Father are one. It's impossible to separate God the Father and God the Son. He says that because that's how impossible it is for you to be separated from him as well. Listen, if God the Father and the Son can't be separated, either can his sheep be separated from God. Now, if you believe this morning that God the Father and the Son cannot be separated, you should have the same assurance that you as one of his own cannot be separated from him just as strongly. That if you are in Christ today, you are in Christ eternally, and there is nothing that you can possibly do that can break or sever that relationship. Christ could do nothing to sever the relationship from the Father. Even when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and when God the Father poured out his full wrath, they were not separated. They were not pulled apart. They were, they were not uh, uh, taken uh, away from one another. It was when Jesus became sin for us and the full wrath of God was being poured out on the Son. But they were not separated even during those hours. Our Lord speaks of the impossibility. We often talk about the God of the impossible. Have you ever stopped to think about the God of the impossible with this thought in mind? It's impossible to be separated from God. 
If I'm in Christ, I cannot be separated. I can never be lost. God the Father and the God the Son are not only one in purpose, in will, but they're also one in nature, one in essence, one in power, and one in perfection. This covenant that was mentioned, this covenant between the Father and the Son, which was meant, we read back in John 6, 39, this covenant is a covenant which cannot be broken. In this chapter, there's really two real important theological truths I want us to get, especially with regard to our salvation. The Father gave a people, that's the sheep, to the Son, that's the shepherd, who agreed to redeem these particular people, the sheep, by his death. That's really the foundation of everything that this chapter has been about, and we're not even all the way done with it yet. But very simply, two deep truths. The Father gave the people. The Father gives, the Son redeemed. They were particular people. They were individual people. Not random, not left to chance. Yet Jesus, and every time that we proclaim the Word of God, it ought to be a proclamation that all should believe and all should follow. All should repent of their sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. As these Jews take up these stones, Jesus responds in verse 32. It says, He answered them, and here's the words He spoke now. Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, those stones that you're throwing, which one of those stones, based upon my works, which, what, 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 is, what is it about those stones that you're throwing? Which of my works are causing you to want me destroyed? And of course, none of those stones that they were throwing should have been thrown. The Jews answered in verse 33 saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. That's proving the depravity of their heart. He says, for blasphemy, and because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Again, Jesus' words were the source of offense. Jesus had spoken all he needed to speak. He had shown all he needed to show. And yet they were still in unbelief. Why? Because as verse 26 tells us, they were not of his. Today, it's not my responsibility to determine and to say, and even dare to try to say, you are not one of his. I've tried to be very clear about this throughout this whole study. It is never, ever, ever our responsibility. Or would we even dare try to tell somebody you're not one of his? I've heard many people say, well, Jesus said that. You realize there are things that Jesus could say that you and I don't have the right or the authority to say. We don't have the authority to declare what Jesus knew to be true. I don't have the authority to look at any person and say, listen, uh, the reason you're not believing right now is because you're not one of his. Listen, what do we do instead? What we do instead is we continue to preach and proclaim and continue to pray for the salvation of that soul. We don't write them off. We don't discount them and say, listen, you, just, you must not be one of his own. Listen, we simply continue to give the same message over and over and over again. Remember, sometimes salvation is not coming just as a flash in a pan. 
Sometimes it takes time for God to deal with his own. And as he deals with them and he continues to reveal and continues to show, there comes a point in time when the eyes are open and now that person is willing to believe. They're willing to repent of their sins. For some of us, that may go, it may take a shorter amount of time than, than others, but for some, it may be a lifetime. You know, somewhere along the line, we have made it, we've tried to make God's plan and God's ways our ways. Sometimes a man or woman may need to hear the gospel. They're, one of, they're very clearly one of his sheep, and they may need to hear the gospel thousands of times before their eyes are finally opened and they're finally illuminated to the truth. I've heard many a person say, I'm giving up on my loved one. I'm giving up on my, on my coworker. I'm giving up on the person I go to school with. Listen, they've heard the gospel at least 15 times and they just refuse to believe. I would tell you repeatedly, don't stop praying and don't stop giving them the gospel. That's what our purpose is. These, these deep truths that we are, we've been studying and we studied in Romans and we're studying in John, remember, all this came to a head today when we said our doctrine, if it doesn't become practical, is worthless. And that's why that study in Romans is going to be such a challenge for us. How that if we know our doctrine and we know what the Bible says, how we ought to be people of humility. Listen, these th things do not make you prideful or arrogant. They make you humble. If you're counted as one of his sheep, there should be nothing in that but humility. That God would even set his eyes upon you and that he would tell you, listen, nothing or no one can pull you out of my hand. Folks, I'd much rather know that I'm held securely by God holding me there than me trying to hold myself there. Because if I'm trying to hold myself there, I have no hope and I have no security. And you will struggle, struggle, struggle thinking, am I really one of his if you're trying to hold yourself in his hand? It's Christ that's holding me. It's God the Father that's holding me. Why is he holding me? Because I'm one of his and because I believe. Today, there's a call to believe. Over and over and over again. Repent and believe the gospel. God's word proves non-believers are not his sheep and he's not their shepherd. Number two, God's purpose for the sheep is eternal life and he provides the means, which is Christ, to obtain eternal life. And number three, God the Father and the Son predestined the redemption of the sheep. I and my Father are one. I hope today you can say without any doubt at all, I know I'm one of his. He knows me and I know him. Let's stand all around, if you would. We'll be dismissed in prayer.